tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. All right, today I am joined by Abby Hellman, one of my classmates here at WashU. Thanks for being on the show, Abby. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. And right off the bat, the question that everyone is asking themselves is there any relation to the Hellman's mayonnaise? You know, usually when people ask me that question, I tell them that I'm actually like a secret heiress to the mayonnaise fortune. Um, unfortunately, that's not true. So the answer that everyone's wanting to know is no, I do not own Hellman's mayonnaise. Thank goodness, because we're actually a Miracle Whip podcast. So that's, that's good news. <laughs> Seriously, though, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you want to share any fun facts with our listeners so they can get to know you before we talk about your research? Sure. So I guess occupational therapy related. I'm an OTD student at Washington University. Um, I'm interested in pediatrics mostly. So that's what I'll be planning on doing after field work. And then something interesting that's been going on lately. I've definitely been struck with boredom as I'm sure everyone has in quarantine uh so I started watching chef's table on Netflix again I've watched it all so I'm watching it again I got inspired to learn more about cooking so I bought this book called how to cook everything and it's basically a food encyclopedia so I've been like reading about these classical techniques and stuff um, and learning more so it's been fun that is a great fun fact. I've been watching Hell's Kitchen a lot during quarantine, uh, yeah. and I also feel like more of an urge to learn how to cook really nice things. Yeah, I know. It's really fun. I haven't necessarily practiced the skills all that much, but reading about it, I feel like is the first step. So I'm on my way. There you go. Abby Hellman, OTD and soon to be chef extraordinaire, can we say? <laughs> all right. So... Your doctoral research project is called The Comfortable Cafeteria After School, Adaptations for Inclusive Mental Health Promotion in a Community Setting. Great title, by the way. It's a mouthful. You did well. <laughs> Thank you. So what is your elevator pitch for this project? So The Comfortable Cafeteria is not my own work. It was created by Dr. Susan Bazic. Um, she made it as a mental health promotion program to be used in a typical classroom cafeteria setting with that population. Um, so I originally got interested in her program and was looking for a way to use it and research it on my own. And we found a community partner that worked with a more targeted population and but was still interested in the same skills and lessons that um, she included in her original. So we made some adaptations based on the needs of our community partner for their specific population and then we tested it with them. Awesome. And to what populations and areas of OT do you see this being influential in? Sure. So the original Comfortable Cafeteria program is a really great program for all schools to adopt. Um, it gets at this idea of positive mental health. So this was something that I learned more about in my literature review for the project. Um, essentially, it looks at mental health on a spectrum. So on one side, we have um, illness or disorder. And then on the other hand, we have 
um, like ment- good positive mental functioning and mental strength. So you can think about it similarly to physical health in the sense where on one hand you have potential illness or injury, and then on the other hand you have um, strength or vitality or whatever. So um, even people who are healthy practice and exercise to make their physical health even stronger. So in a way, mental health can be thought of as the same thing where um, we should – practice and exercise to keep our mental health strong as well. So that was how the program was created originally. Um, So I think it's appropriate and helpful and even recommended for all schools. Um, What we did is a more targeted approach for a population of students with developmental disabilities who may not communicate the same way as a typical classroom um, cafeteria lunchtime setting. Um, So we thought that these skills were still important to be appropriate to them. Um, So we adapted a lot of the activities to make them more accessible and to hopefully communicate those same lessons. Yeah, I love that. And kind of a a general wide scale question. Why do you think community intervention is so important? That's an interesting question. So I'll answer it this way, I guess. Um, You know, as we learn more and more about how occupational therapy works in the real world, I think we are both so fortunate to come from an institution that really lets us understand what occupational therapy can be outside of the box. We learn about all these different settings um, and different uses and the value of OT in all these different places. Um, But in learning more and more about the school setting, I realized that occupational therapists are a little bit bound in that role um, and they don't necessarily get the chance to see all of the kids that attend a school um, and get to know them and help them. So this approach, it's its more of a community style approach. Um, the occupational therapist is actually the one teaching the program to the lunchtime supervisors. And then those lunchtime supervisors are implementing it with their students. So this kind of teach the teacher model, um, it's less time for the occupational therapist who potentially wouldn't be getting paid for that service. Um, and it also provides lessons and um, teaching to lunchtime supervisors who don't receive a lot of training too. So it's this more sustainable approach. And I think community um, interventions can provide a more sustainable and sort of wider ranging occupational therapy intervention, which is why it's really important. Yeah. And hearing that, I know sometimes occupational therapists in a school setting may work at multiple different schools or an entire district or multiple districts. Yeah. So sustainability would be so important. And I'm really excited to learn about this program and how practitioners can use it. Sure. Um, Was there something or someone specific that inspired you to take this on? Yeah. um, So... I'm kind of giving away my nerdiness here, but I was actually reading uh, an AJOT article. I was slipping through an American Journal of Occupational Therapy, it just in my free time, and <laughs> came across this original outcome study for the Comfortable Cafeteria. Um, read a little bit about positive mental health, sort of got my first exposure there. Um, thought it was a really cool program that had incredible results. The results were just really astounding to me. And it also gave me this view of community practice um, in a way that I didn't, like, I didn't fully know that OTs could do that. So there were just all these different components about it that really struck me. And then the biggest one was that it involved giving um, the lunchtime supervisors some education and providing them with the tools to 
involve their own students in this positive programming, which I thought was so cool. And my mom actually works as a lunchtime supervisor at an elementary school in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I directly went to her first and sort of asked her what she thought about this program, asked her if she had any prior training before starting her role, um, asked her what her biggest frustrations are in the lunchroom, and all of the things she was saying were really holding true to this article, and she became really interested in, in it as well. So I just, I don't know, thought it was a really high-quality program and even had some someone in my own life sort of agree. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, validation is very important, especially coming from a family member. Um, so it sounds like a, a cool way to discover your project and want to study this as hopefully our listeners are beginning to understand the doctoral research project process. Once you pick a project, you have to do extensive literature review um, and finding background information on everything. Can you talk to us about what some of the main takeaways were from your literature review? Definitely. So the biggest one by far was this idea, this concept of mental health on a spectrum. Um, And I spoke about that before, this positive mental health and how it's really important to facilitate that um, because it's really a protective factor against mental illness and mental disorders. Um, Similar to that of physical health, if you're strong, if you're taking care of your body, you're less likely and more flexible when things come up. And the same can be thought of in mental health. And starting those programs with a young population who are able to understand the importance of those skills and build that into their adult life was something I found really important in the literature review to understand. Um, Another one is that I looked into the literature surrounding mental health of children with developmental disabilities specifically, because that was the population of kids that we were going to run the program with. And I found that, um, I think there are some challenges in, in, um, studying potential mental health in this population. There's different ways of communication, different ability levels, all of those things. But I did find that it's really important because, um, We know that this population has a higher uh, rate of exposure to traumatic events and ACEs that could further impact development as well. So um, making sure to understand um, mental health in this population, I think, is really important. One statistic I read said that uh, children with developmental disabilities are four times more likely to experience trauma than typically developing children. Right. So just making sure that we are aware of that and acknowledging that and making sure that um, mental health related interventions are appropriate for this population um, became more and more evident. That importance became more and more evident to me in my literature review. Absolutely. And that's really interesting. I never heard that statistic about children with developmental disabilities. And it would be so important to be aware of that because they have such a unique way of communicating and they have varying ability levels. So the way they kind of react or demonstrate how they're dealing with their trauma may be very different from a typically developing child. Yeah, and it's important to consider that um, for sure. I think often children with developmental disabilities, you know, we hope that they have the access to services that they need in a more targeted way, in a more um, intensive way if they need that. 
Um, but I also think it's important to build positive promotional skills as well. So I think this could be a population that often gets missed in the more preventative and positive and promotional aspects of mental health intervention, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into the Comfortable Cafeteria program now. What does this program look like? Is it during school, after school? Can you kind of explain it for us? Absolutely. So the Comfortable Cafeteria original program is a six-week lunchtime intervention. Um, it involves lessons in the lunchroom that are created to be short. Um, the program really respects that lunchtime is a child's leisure time during the school day. Um, so it, it aims to sort of capitalize on that and provide children um, just the foundation of skills that they can use to enjoy their lunchtime more. That's sort of the overall goal is to improve enjoyment and to improve positive function. Um, so lessons are taught at the beginning of every week by the lunchtime supervisor and then reinforced throughout the week. So an example of an activity could be like a group discussion about social skills or I know one of the original activities was to bring in like a show and tell person, sort of like an important person in the community and give the kids a chance to ask them questions. You can kind of think of questions throughout the week and then at the, on the Friday um, you can bring the person in and give a chance, the students a chance to practice those skills. Um, in addition, there's also a environmental component, making the lunchroom cafeteria area a nicer place to be. So potentially looking at lighting aspects, decorative aspects, making sure the tables are um, appropriate for conversation easily, things like that. Um, and then giving the lunchtime supervisors the skills to, to reinforce positive behavior that they see, and then also sort of lay out expectations for um, noise disruptions and things like that. Because one of the biggest barriers in the lunchroom, I think, is, is noise that a lot of lunchtime supervisors struggle with. So um, just prioritizing the importance of reinforcing positive behaviors, laying out clear expectations and communication, and working on a positive relationship with the students. And how did you adapt this program for your group of students who specifically had developmental disabilities? So we noticed that a lot of the activities in the comfortable, the original Comfortable Cafeteria program um, were conversation-based, which works perfectly in a typical classroom because, you know, a main activity of a typical lunchtime would be talking to people in conversation. So it worked well. For us, though, we found some challenges to that because a lot of our students were nonverbal, partially verbal, um, or communicated in different ways. So we wanted to still work on those skills, though. So one example, um, one theme during that six-week time was uh, lunchtime conversation. So, and then again, another sort of difference in our program and our implementation is that this community partner, um, it ran an after-school program. So we use snack time for them instead of lunchtime, but similar. So snack time conversation became teaching students really the basics of a back and forth conversation, sort of. We gave um, students who needed it or wanted it 
a conversation card with pictures. So they could practice going to their peers, going to the snack time supervisors, um, and using a pointing system rather than a verbal conversation to sort of get at that lesson. Um, so in all of the activities, we made similar adaptations to sort of maintain the integrity of the original intent of the lesson, but then grade it down so that the students in our um, research could participate. That's great. Um, and how did you how did you design this study? What kind of scientific methods and measures did you use? That's a great question. <laughs> um, so I guess this is an opportunity to give a shout out to my research team. It was not just me doing this implementation and adaptation. I had wonderful second years working with me as well. Um, so Emma, Sam, and Josh were highly involved in the adaptation process. Um, we did our best to stick to the original until we got a better sense of our community partners' needs. So looking back on the program, it was definitely a lesson learned to make sure we were clear in communication and understanding of the needs of our community partner, the abilities of our students, and how to best serve them. Um, so when we were truly became truly aware of that need, we had to further adapt in a short amount of time. So we like absolutely did the best we could and used as much scientific evidence as we could, used a lot of creativity, which actually became a really incredible lesson for me, how to produce creative solutions to problems in a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, we used sort of our experiences with develop with children with developmental disabilities as well. Sam, one of the team members, had recently served in a camp, I think through this community organization. So she had sort of some ideas about what worked for her camp and things that we could use. Um, and then we really kept the original lessons at the forefront of all of our adaptations too. So um, also in the original Comfortable Cafeteria, they lay out a bunch of resources to review and read before you implement. So we use that research as well to sort of guide our knowledge of um, the true meaning of the lesson and then we use sort of more of a creative process to adapt. I love that. It sounds like you guys really emphasize the needs of the program you partnered with and also the participants in your group, um, which that's OT. So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, great job. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I mean, we uh, we had to be really adaptable. We had to be really flexible. Um, and that actually ended up being like the greatest takeaway, I think, at least for me personally, was um, being open to serving the needs of your population first. You know, I came in with, I think we all came in with an idea of what we were going to do and what the needs were. And then we had to adjust and we had to move on and we had to fill the need. So I'm proud of, I'm proud of that aspect of the, of the research as well. Just being able to understand and communicate clearly and adjust and move on. What lesson topics and activities from the original program did you incorporate into your group? So I'm not sure if I remember all of the lessons specifically, but I know there was a week. Um, so the themes changed each week. So there was a week on snack time conversations. And this is a once a week group. Is that right? Yeah. So originally, like the original program, like the activity, the main activity usually was taught on the Monday and then reinforced throughout the week. For us, our community partner, um, 
really needed us to provide more activities. So we picked the lesson and then provided probably an hour and a half's worth of activities Monday through Thursday. Okay. It was a lot. So it was a lot more than the original. We had two groups of kids. We had a Monday, Wednesday, and we had a Tuesday, Thursday. So we had two full days in that sense of activities within that one lesson. Awesome. So we got creative. Yeah. It sounds like you had to. Yeah. (laughs) And what were your lesson topics and associated activities? Yes. If you could give us some examples. Sure. So snack time conversations was one that I mentioned. We also had how to be a good friend. So that involved you know, introducing yourself, asking about your friend's interests, what to do if you see your friend in need. Um, We use social stories for that. So we had the kids um, be involved in the storytelling process in sort of a what would you do format. Um, We talked about good options, not so good options. What are, you know, how how do we go about being a good friend to our peers? Um, another week was a sensory awareness week. So being aware of other people's sensory needs, what are our sensory needs? Um, we worked on a program to taste things and then describe how they felt. Um, we worked on some smells and how they made us feel. So that was a fun week too. We also worked on eating healthy foods as that is a part of uh, typical cafeteria or snack time that can improve your sort of experience of it so in that one we tried a bunch of different foods of the rainbow um, and did a taste test and sort of encouraged the kids to be open and try new things so that was really fun Um, yeah I'd say those are some good examples yeah, I, I can't help but smile listening to those examples. Pediatric interventions always sound so fun. There's, it was so fun. And it was very exciting to do things that we knew the kids would enjoy. Because really that's like, again, the main thing is the enjoyment, the enjoyment factor and the positive function. So, yeah, absolutely. Fun. And uh, so you collected some data and results as well through a survey given to participants and to staff. Um, what did those surveys look like? The surveys and the data collection process was another area that we had to really think about for this population. Um, We wanted to give students the opportunity to self-report how they felt about the program and the activities that we did with them. So um, we created a Likert scale with faces, with, you know, smiley faces on one end and then frown faces on the other end and (laughs) asked the students to pick a face according to the question. Um, And we did that prior to the implementation and then afterwards as well. Um, For staff, we did just afterwards and they had a rating scale and also some write-ins. So we had some qualitative and quantitative data there. And then we also looked at, we took field notes throughout the program too, the research team did. So we sort of, just to take stock of how it was going, um, you know, our own thoughts on how it went that day, if it was effective, if it wasn't effective, things like that. So we used all of that data and compiled it all and analyzed it. Nice. And, and what did you find from said analysis? What results did you see? So we found that for the student data, so that was that smiley scale, we didn't find significance in improvement, but all of our um, findings did trend towards positive. So um, they were seen to sort of enjoy it more afterwards or 
say that they enjoyed snack time more afterwards, even though it didn't reach significance. Um, we also acknowledged too during this process, and we found in our f- field notes that the data collection measures could even potentially be further adapted to fit the needs of this population. Um, there was some question as to whether students were reporting accurately. Um, we had some students like fill in, like circle all the faces, for example. So if there could be either like an observation tool or a more accessible tool that was still self-report, um, that could be a good option for the future. Um, however, so then after sort of looking at that data and having concerns, we really turned towards the staff data and their overall results were um, positive as well. I think they really enjoyed the training aspect of it, um, understanding that we as the research team were the primary implementers of the study. I mentioned earlier the original takes this more sustainable approach in a teach the teacher method. And we're hoping that in future implementations, if they, you know, come to fruition, that we could do it that way. But for this first pilot implementation, the community partner really needed us to be the the directors of the project and really implement it with the students. But um, we found that the staff um, showed an interest in implementing it themselves in the future. So that was really encouraging to see. They definitely saw increased positive behaviors in their students, increased interactions in their students. Um, so that was really encouraging for us to see. Yeah, that, that sounds great. Um, I want to ask as well if there's maybe a, a clinical example or a story that you could share of how a participant or a staff member achieved a positive outcome from participating in your program. Sure. So I think of one student who who generally didn't use a lot of verbal communication um, and was definitely a sensory seeker. He sought out a lot of sensory experiences, sometimes disruptive, sometimes not. But he was a fun student to work with and just had a lot of sort of life and energy. Um, but he really wanted to interact with his peers it seemed from sort of our observation, but didn't always find success in that. So during that same week of the conversation cards with the pictures and the pointing, um, we provided sort of demonstration of how this was supposed to go, even worked with him a little bit more specifically in giving him the tools to be able to understand the back and forth process a little bit more. And then he just sort of took off with it on his own um, and started going around to his peers and really asking them in some words and mostly gestures to answer the question on the conversation card by pointing at an object. Um, he loved to ask the staff these questions too and really seemed to understand the lesson and find a lot of enjoyment in that activity. So that to me just truly got at the heart of the program and um, you know he was able to communicate in his way with his peers and the staff. So that was just a huge success, I think. Yeah, sounds like it for sure. And how do you feel that participation in this program serves as a protective factor against potential mental health difficulties? I think that whenever students enjoy a certain time of the day and demonstrate I think it goes hand in hand with positive function. When we, I think when we enjoy parts of our day, we tend to, pos- to function better in those parts of the day. And I think that giving a child 
an opportunity to enjoy a certain part of their day, look forward to coming to snack time, look forward to that group of individuals and peers that the child can see um, to converse with them. I think it's just a small way to facilitate enjoyment and hope and potentially forget about the more traumatic aspects of life that they have to go through. You know, so I think in that way, it serves as a protective factor and gives the student a sense of community um, and a group of people that they can trust. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. To me, Abby, your project is a great template for program development of curriculum that can be used by all students, whether it's adapted from a curriculum on a population level or not. And I want to ask you what role... OT practitioners have in making sure population level programs are inclusive of all student abilities? So I think as we will probably soon find out on fieldwork and beyond that occupational therapy practitioners are already stretched pretty thin. So I think it's, you know, having students that have a need for our services. It's probably hard, I imagine, to look beyond that population of students that really needs us in the acute phase um, to consider the broader population of students. Um, And I think that that's at the heart of the Comfortable Cafeteria program is to provide programming to students that wouldn't normally experience OT. So in that way, I think it is inclusive because we're probably already seeing students that need our services, or hopefully we are, that they have access to it. So I think just in the broader sense, keeping in mind both the larger population, but then also the students that need a more targeted approach within the larger population. So instead of sectioning out students that meet need more intensive or targeted intervention, um, allowing them to have the opportunity to engage with their peers in a broader program, but potentially just giving them those little helpful hints or graded down adaptations or things like that. And Um, giving them the opportunity to participate too with their typically developing peers. Uh, That sounds great. Um, I want to shift now to some more personal and opinion questions um, about your experience on this project. What did you enjoy most about it? I definitely enjoyed all aspects of the project. I think finding it in a way that was really personal um, made even the beginning kind of special. I think what I have come to understand as like the most enjoyment has been the challenge of adapting quickly. Like I was mentioning before, talking to the community partner and realizing that we may have been on slightly different pages at the beginning, but then being able to quickly understand what we needed to do and respond it was a challenge that I think we that I think we responded to well, and I think that was probably the most enjoyable. Looking back, um, being pushed in that way. That's neat. I love how what you enjoyed the most was also seemingly one of the most difficult aspects. So really, what we did in that in that time was to come up with a lot more programming very quickly. So using that creative OT brain. Um, knowing the needs of the population and being able to creatively find solutions. I think like, yeah, pulling that together and being creative probably was the most fun. 
Absolutely. How will this research influence your future practice and career decisions? Yeah, so I definitely understand and value the importance of um, doing inclusive programming in kind of a community setting. I think that I see the value of it so much more and uh, hope to continue that in the future, keeping in mind the needs of a whole population instead of, you know, the few clients that we see. Um, What do you hope that practitioners take away from these findings? Um, I think that we can all, I think that I definitely and hopefully other practitioners will more greatly value the the importance of positive mental health overall for all populations. I think that that analogy of mental health to physical health was really illuminating for me and understanding that there's this side of mental wellness and strength that can be sought out and be really protective, um, especially for children in their sort of journey. So that's something I will definitely carry with me and think that it's important for everyone to know about and keep in mind. Um, And that positive mental health and that feeling of enjoyment and wellness and positive function can be achieved really in small interactions too. And sort of recognizing um, positive behaviors when they occur, making sure to reinforce them and, I don't know, celebrate the positive small moments of of one's day, I think can be a way to achieve that in sort of the, this, the, I don't know, on a small scale. I love that. And even though, you know, you're achieving that on a small scale, it's going to have a big impact. I think Um, it can. Yeah. Okay. Just two more questions. Is there anyone that you'd like to acknowledge or thank in the completion of this project? Absolutely. So a huge thanks to Dr. Susan Bazic, first of all, for just this wonderful program that we were able to work with and learn from. Um, Also a huge thanks to uh, my research team. So Sam, Emma, and Josh, who were just absolutely invaluable to this project. I could not have done this without them. Um, I mentioned that the biggest, most fun part of this experience was the challenge of adapting quickly. And I could not have, we could not have come through. Um, I could not have come through without them. So I'd consider them, you know, a huge part of this program and project. Um, and then thanks to Dr. Lauren Milton, who was our also invaluable supervisor throughout this process and can, you know, encourage us to keep going and um, do what we needed to do to get it done. Also, huge thanks to my doctoral research committee for their insights and um, a huge thanks to our community partner. And then thanks to Washington University in St. Louis program in occupational therapy as well, obviously for, you know, giving us the opportunity even to experience this level of research. It was not necessarily something that I felt drawn to initially, but I am so grateful for the opportunity to have done something like this um, because I know what an impact it, it has made on my future practice. That's awesome. All right, Abby, it is golden nugget segment time. Ooh. <laughs> so this is just the golden nugget question. What's one thing you've learned from this research that you wish everyone knew? That's a super interesting question, and I'm going to answer it in two ways. So I'm going to answer it with like something that I've learned from doing this as a takeaway from me, and then a more content-relevant thing from the comfortable cafeteria perspective. So for me personally, I have learned that creative problem solving can never be underestimated. (laughs) 
creative problem solving, um, thinking outside the box in a short amount of time can produce really incredible results. And I will, I mean, there's power in that. And there's, that's sort of, I think it's the strength of the OT profession overall. I think we're incredible creative problem solvers. And I think that I will continue to be confident in my ability to do that in the future. And I think that will help me a lot. So that's my personal takeaway. On a more content relevant note, I would say that positive mental health can make a difference. I think in our society a lot, you know, we talk about this in school, that there's not a whole lot of emphasis on prevention and promotion in general. But if you take care of your your mind and if you prioritize positive function and enjoyment in your day, I think it can really make a difference in your life. And I think it can really make a difference in the lives of our clients. So I think that would be my golden nugget. <laughs> yes. And a special bonus nugget to our listeners. They get two today. Oh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. And thanks for being on the show. Um, it was really great having you on. Thank you so much, Matt. It was a great experience. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day. So, wait, what was the question again? Every single day, cause I love my occupation. Hey, I'm on vacation. Every single day, every, every single day. Everybody sour like a lemon tree. And then we're done, Abs. It's kind of crazy. Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need. Open arms, embracing life, and all the which you gave to me. I work, it pays off. I'm happy now, it's paying me. Close my eyes, sometimes I feel as if I blow away. I love the life I live in. Whoa. I'll start over. Make a living out of living, yeah, that's what I say. I got one life to live, and I wouldn't live in no other way. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day Hey, I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, I'm on vacation If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it should go and change it if you don't like your life then you should go and change it if you don't like your life then you should go and change it so well said <laughs>